Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adam Young Golf. So there's a lot of sayings and phrases that seem to get passed down over time in golf. We've covered some of them in a few of our myths episode, I think. Drive for show, putt for dough is one of them. In this episode, we're going to take a phrase that I think actually Arnold Palmer was the one who initially coined it. Mm-hmm, I believe so. Yeah, I think it's becoming more popular lately. I've thrown it out on Twitter and gotten some very different responses to it. So we are going to be talking about the quote or phrase, swing your swing. We're going to do a little thought experiment here, aren't we? Yeah. I think it's probably important to preface this by saying that, at least on my behalf, I'm neither for nor against the phrase. I see where it has value, and I think that's going to be reflected in this podcast, right? We're going to try and do maybe half of the podcast talking about for, giving the argument for swing your swing or why it can be helpful, and then we'll do a counter-argument as well to look at all of this because we are the sweet spot. That's what we do, and we find that middle ground as to what we believe is truly correct. So I don't want people thinking that, oh, you're super for this. What about this and that? We're going to cover all sides of the argument in this. I thought about it a lot. I think, is it a helpful phrase? Possibly. I've always liked it, but I get when I've thrown it out on Twitter Obviously, I get the response, well, what if your swing sucks? (laughs) Do you really want to swing your swing then? I'm like, well, no, I don't want you to swing your swing then. So there's a lot of nuance to this. And I think we'll, we'll cover a lot of things like, you know, we always talk about the aesthetics of the golf swing, what it looks like versus like what's actually occurring in the functional part of it. Because I know a lot of golfers get trapped in that. They want their swing to look a certain way, but at the same time, that that might not get them the ball striking results that they want. So we're going to break this into two parts. This one, we're going to do the pro swing your swing camp, so to speak. I certainly have a lot of arguments on why why I do like the phrase. So we wanted to do a little bit of a preface before we, we get into this about what was the phrase you were using before we started recording, Adam? Macro and micro. So when we talk about swing mechanics, it could be split up into macro, which is like the big motions, the, the overall look of the swing, things like the overall movement patterns, turns, sequencing, positions. But then there's the micro elements as well, the small variances. So even, even when a pro on camera looks as if they're swinging the same over and over, they're actually making small variations in their swings that are undetectable to our eye usually, but some 3D devices can capture these things. So Things like low point, angle of attack, path changes might be small changes there, or arc depth would be a big one. So the example would be if you hold your arm out straight and then you just pull your shoulder back a little bit and forwards, that's called scapular retraction and protraction. And now we've got probably a good couple, two, three inches of that motion, and that can dramatically affect the outcome. You know, if you have just a little bit more or less of that, you're going to hit a few grooves lower or higher on the face. It's going to be a fat or a thin shot, which is going to really affect the outcome. Similarly, you know, a little bit of forearm pronation, supination is going to change the the club face presentation. You know, if you rotate your forearm one degree more, usually that's going to have a similar effect down at the club head. Won't be exactly the same, but it'll be very similar. And we know from TrackMan quad data that if you're just two degrees out with the driver, that's going to be in the rough. 
if you're three degrees out, that could be like 36, 40 yards offline. So that's stuff that you're not going to see on the on the camera, but it's stuff that makes a difference. So I, I categorize that stuff as micro because it's small things that you can't see necessarily, but we can pick up with launch monitors, 3D data, but it dramatically changes the outcome. Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah. And that's ultimately when I'm thinking why I do like the phrase swing your swing. I'm thinking more of the macro stuff, so more of the DNA or the fingerprint of your swing. So obviously, there's a lot of examples of this in pro golf. We have, you know, we have the examples of players who are kind of out of the box, like a Jim Furyk, Bubba Watson, Sergio Garcia comes to mind. I think there's a lot more of these swings popping up, even in the college and, and professional ranks, rather than the kind of cookie cutter on plane swings. So that's why I think this phrase has kind of been revived again. You see a player like Matt Wolf come out and they're like, yeah, swing your swing. Look at Matt Wolf. Like he can play pro golf and look how crazy it looks to the eye because we're looking at kind of the gross motor patterns. And I guess I'm biased because I'm an example, I think, of swing your swing where I, I do some things in my golf swing that probably are a bit unorthodox. But I think my micro movements are quite good at controlling the club face and strike and all those things you can't see on camera. It's my swing. It's not going to change dramatically for the next 30 years. I'm I'm probably going to have a very similar takeaway position at the top. All those gross patterns are that that's like my swing. I own that swing. But over the next however many decades I play this game, I'm going to try and work on those micro things that you necessarily can't see. So that's why it's, that is one of the reasons I do like the phrases because I never want golfers to think that in order to play well, that they need their swing to fit into some type of model or idea that they might see on TV or someone else they play with and say, oh, I want to swing like that. And it doesn't work that way in golf, I don't think. So I, I prefer to people to, as best they can, keep that DNA and fingerprint and, and work with what they've got and make the best version of that. And sometimes, of course, and I think we'll probably get add to this in the in the negative swing your swing. Well, if that's not working for you, then yes, sometimes a major overhaul is necessary, but those are difficult and take a lot of time. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on this. Yeah, I, I wrote about four hours of notes last night. I was up till 4, 4 a.m. on this and I had to stop. <laughs> yeah, you texted me before this. You're like, I was thinking to myself like, yeah, this might be a short one. And then I got a text from you and you said, prepare for a two-parter. I've got tons of notes. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> it's amazing how like I was speaking to a friend and they're like, how can you, how can you write that many notes on those three words, swing your swing? I'm like, I don't know. It just come, comes from the ether. <laughs> It can mean a lot. If you look at the tweet I sent out, I got a wide range of responses. There were instructors who hate that phrase, and I totally understand why they hate it. And then there were other golfers who were like, yeah, I love it. Like, swing your swing. Like, do what's right for you. And and again, there's I don't believe there's a right answer on this because they're just words, right? And you can – like, think of it. We have <laughs> – we have whole, not to get too off the beaten path here, but when I was thinking about this phrase and interpretation, think of like religious scholars, people who interpret words in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Quran, or people in the legal profession, you know, constitutional scholars and all those people, they're taking words that were written a long time ago and arguing over what they mean and in these intense situations. So this happens in golf too. It's just three words. But as you said, I think a lot of people can interpret it differently. 
Well, we'll look at the different interpretations in a moment, but on on the topic of macro and micro, a couple of things came up to me that, you know, in my own game, for example, I can emulate others' swings because I I have to demonstrate certain things. So if I want to be more across the line at the top, more laid off at the top, shallower coming down, if I want to do early extension to just to demonstrate these things, I can do that. And I can also figure out how to hit it well from those things. So I can actually jump into different swings that aren't mine and they look hugely different. A swing chameleon. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I can make them all function very well. In fact, there's a there's a blog post I did called um, Swing Experiments where I did nine different swings. I could make all of those hit pro-level shots. But my swing, <laughs> the one that I feel is most natural, is just the one that I've practiced the most and the one I don't have to think about as much. There, you said it. The one you don't have to think about. To me, swing your swing to me is the one that I don't have to think about as much. And to be honest, if I decided to one day and I wanted to change my swing model, I could. And it probably wouldn't take me that long before I get that swing to be as consistent and functional as my existing motion. But to me, that's like, a, a why do that? <laughs> you know, you just... You just Give a good phrase here, John. You're just going around in circles maybe to achieve the same goal. There's got to be a better phrase for it than that. But Well, we, we, we do talk about what do you – there's always that risk calculation. What do you stand to gain? What do you stand to lose? And that – there's a lot of reasons that gets answered differently for each golfer. What's your current skill level? Are you, are you a beginner, intermediate golfer? You have more to gain. How much time do you have? Do you have months to work on this potentially? I'm personally not interested in going through a major swing overhaul myself just because I don't see the purpose of it. I, I, I seem to keep getting better with what I've got with the micro adjustments that I'm making. So that's why we, we like to talk about these things because every golfer has a different situation. But what I don't like golfers doing for the most part is making a change like for the sake of change if like let, let's say they were videoing their swing and they're like you know what i don't like the way my swing looks like at the top of my backswing i did this before too i thought my swing was too long so i tried to shorten it up i just thought it looked better that way had no clue <laughs> what i was doing was just like yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this a shot i hit a few good shots with it and i'm like yeah this is my new swing thought i'm gonna be very short with my driver swing it didn't work and i think there's a lot of golfers doing this type of stuff at the range all over the world where they're just haphazardly like seeing something uh, we've talked about YouTube before on TV and they're like, yeah, I'm going to give that a shot and plug that puzzle piece into my swing puzzle. And that's what I don't like is because now you're not technically swinging your swing. You're trying to put someone else's piece into your puzzle and it's usually not going to work out well. Yeah, I, I even had this myself. When I started coaching and I started working for the Ledbetter Academies, they had a swing model called the 11 Links, which I still believe is one of the best models to follow out there. It's a very, very neutral looking swing. But in order to do my certification, I had to do lots of videos where I'm demonstrating this swing. So I had to actually learn to physically put myself into certain positions. And I did this over the course of months to make my swing look like the model. And I got it to look absolutely great on camera. And you know what? I performed horribly with it. I tried to take it out and it looked great on camera, but my more flary, less less aesthetically pleasing swing was the one that functioned better. And so, you know, that that had to get me searching as to the reasons why. And obviously now with the impact physics stuff, we know why a swing functions and why it doesn't. That's important to look at even with 
even with the best players in the world, some of their swings, their macro motions look great. But if you watch enough golf on TV, and I'm not talking about the highlights, I'm talking about the lowlights, you'll see pros hit some horrendous shots. You'll see them hit some stinkers like 30, 40, 50, 60 yards offline. You'll see them shank it occasionally, maybe even hit a fat shot occasionally. And if you look at their motion on camera, barely any difference at all. In fact, there's the guys out there at the moment, hopefully we'll have them on the podcast, and they've looked at it on a 3D level. And they found out that the difference between good players and bad players, the difference between their best and their worst shots is minimal absolutely minimal in terms of the macro motion. The difference lies within the the micro motion. So things like a little bit of arc height drop, maybe presenting the face a little bit different, more open, more closed slightly, stuff that you really can't see on camera. Yeah, the only time I can think of, you know, the the Konica, is it still the Konica Biz Hub? I don't even know if they're still doing that. Konica Minolta, yeah, Biz Hub, yeah. Yeah, it always looked the same to me. In my recent memory, the only time I actually saw a swing look, wow, that was different. And I feel bad bringing this up because it was kind of like a heartbreaking ending. I don't know if you saw this. I think it was the end of the PGA Championship last year. I think it was Mito Pereira. He was a young player and he was he was right in the mix on the 18th hole and just hit this horrible shot off the tee. And they actually did a swing comparison. And that was the only time where I was like, wow, he actually did do something very different on that swing. That's the only one I could ever think of in a very long time where like even I'm sure if you looked at videos of of Spieth when he had that meltdown at the Masters on 12, I hate to bring it up because I'm a Spieth fan, but you know, I wonder if you looked at videos of that versus some of the good shots he hit, if you'd really see anything all that different. I think you'd really need something like like the gears system to really that that's kind of like a a 3D x-ray, a, a CT scan of your golf swing to dig into that stuff. Even then, the guys that I've seen who are doing the research on that, they had they have the gear system. So, And they have, I think, Qualysis as well. So they get really good data on it. And they basically asked players to hit, I don't want to spoil their research, but they asked players to hit hit a bunch of shots towards targets and they looked at the difference between their best swings. So, you know, they picked a bunch of best swings and looked at like the deviations between movement patterns. And then they looked at their worst swings and they were expecting to see huge differences, but there was just as many difference. There's just as much difference within the good swings as there was in the bad swings. It's crazy. It's just the coordination. We got to get them on the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's something that you know I've talked about in my book. It's something that's been kind of known for years in other domains, but we still think in golf that it's the macro that creates the result, and it's not. It's the it's the micro. The macro motion might tell you the patterns. Like you can tell if a player is over the top, they're not going to be a drawer of the golf ball. And you can tell when a player is severely underplaying, they're not going to be able to fade it from there. It'll tell you certain patterns, but it's not going to tell you the actual outcome. Makes perfect sense. So what else is on? I know you've got your your list of notes here. Well, I thought we'd start with the definition. So why don't you start with the Arnie one, John? Well, what you think he meant. Do you know what he meant when he said "swing your swing"? Well, uh, why don't I why don't I read the full quote? There's actually it's actually like a longer quote. Let me bring it up here. Give me a second. Now, Arnie was one who had a strong grip, 
and he had a very like helicopter helicopter hold off finish. So he had a, kind of a unique swing himself. He had lots of good traits, obviously, like many professionals do, but he had some very unique things in his swing. As did players like Nicholas as well. You know, Nicholas had the flying right elbow. He's a little steeper on the early downswing. No one really says let's copy Nicholas's swing, even though he's the greatest player of all time. But so, have you got the Arnie stuff? Wait, what did you just say? Uh, was he the oh, are you arguing with the greatest player of all time part <laughs> well, maybe yeah <laughs> do another episode on that I'd probably yeah just yeah actually yeah people. I, I like i like tiger more but i love you too <laughs> nicholas <laughs> here's the full quote swing your swing not some idea of a swing not a swing you saw on tv not that swing you wish you had no swing your swing capable of greatness prized only by you perfect in its imperfection Swing your swing. I know I did. It's quite the quote, huh? Ah, interesting. That's not what I thought it would be. Yeah, the little wrinkle. I thought he would have more of an, a Nicholas-esque interpretation of it. So, you know, Nicholas talked about dance with the woman you brought. Or is that the phrase? Where basically whatever patterns you have on the day, you should use that. You shouldn't be trying to fight that. And, and Tiger's talked about that. I think that's how many versions of this phrase can come up. Like when you hear swing your swing, I think that's what's interesting about it is it, it depending on the person, they've got their version of it. And I, I think I would, my version of it is closer probably to what Arnold said is that my preference and my hope for most golfers is that they've got some type of swing that they bring to golf, some type of tendency, DNA, fingerprint, whatever you would like to call it. And that comes natural to them. And obviously... When you're a beginner, you're going to have to get better at this game and make some adjustments to that. But I think when we move away from what feels natural to us, the more conscious we have to be about the actual swing while we play. And that's not what I want for golfers. I want them to step up to the ball with a clear mind, react to their target, and swing. That's the way I try and play the game. I'm not thinking about really anything of what's going on in my golf swing over the ball or during it. It's just maybe some small overall cues. And I think that's much harder to do when you're not swinging your swing. So I do like Arnold's quote, theoretically. Obviously, it gets a lot messier when we look at each golfer's situation individually. But yeah, that's why I'm for it is that you shouldn't be jealous of other golfers' swings. You shouldn't try to pick apart I'm not going to name the book, but there was a book about the golf swing and it was looking at like all the great moves of all time. And it was kind of breaking it, the swing into different parts and saying, well, this all-time great did this at the top of their swing. And this all-time great did this with their footwork. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, someone's going to read this and try and like take these each parts and put them into their swing. And it's going to be a mess because it's not theirs. They're synthesizing it from all of these other players' swings. So yeah, in theory, again, I like the Arnold quote, but we have to go a lot deeper than that in each person's situation, obviously, to satisfy the impact conditions and hit functional golf shots. But that's my hope for most players. Maybe I'm too pie in the sky, but yeah, I want people to come to the game with their natural tendencies and work within that framework, hopefully, and create the best version of that swing. But again, it has some signature to it. And and I think that's in the, the macro gross motor patterns that you would notice on camera, perhaps, not these little things that are not detectable by the eye. 
Yeah, I think a lot of this goes into DNA. Like we all come to the game with our own mix of constraints. Maybe we have different physical limitations. You know, I'm getting to that age now where certain injuries are popping up and it's kind of evolving my swing over time. There's certain things I can't do, like I can't externally rotate my shoulder. I probably shouldn't even mention something like that. It's been a big internet thing at the moment. I don't know if you've seen that. We'll talk about that a different day. But yeah, I can't <laughs> I can't externally rotate my shoulder much. Some people can't rotate huge amounts, so that's going to affect backswing, downswing look and that will affect things like arm structure. So we're all we're all very different. We even come with different sports, right? When you look at tennis players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Nadal is a really good golfer apparently and he's got a very unique looking swing. Oh yeah, I've seen video of his swing. It's quite, it's strange to the eye for sure. It looks a lot like his tennis swing from what I see. You know, it's, it's like kind of Matt Wolf-esque. It's, I think, I believe it's short. The club goes back very steep, just like you would swing a tennis racket, really. So, you know, we come with our different constraints from prior experiences. My dad is a cricketer. He, his golf swing looks like a cricket swing. And it's very difficult for him to change that. Similarly, when I go and play cricket, I look like a golfer <laughs> trying to do so. So, yeah, we're all coming in with these different constraints. We all have this different DNA. And I think swing your swing, a lot of that has to take that into account. Because the thing is, if you are fighting your tendencies, how you want your body to move, if you're constantly fighting that, there's going to be a cost to that. Now, yes, there could be some gain as well. You have to weigh these out. So, you know, if, if, for example, my dad likes to be on his back foot and, and swinging because that's what cricketers do, there's a cost to how he swings it that way. means he's going to play more of a fade. That's the only way he can get his low point forwards enough. If I tried to change that and make him more orthodox looking, more textbook looking, there would be a benefit to that. You know, he may be able to create a little bit more power, get his path better. But the cost to that is we're fighting 50, 60 years of cricket. And he plays okay at the moment. He plays pretty decent with his big cut-across move. It's not to say we shouldn't go one route or the other. It's not to say that he shouldn't try and change that. But if we go against swing your swing for him, we have to take into account that he's fighting these tendencies. He's fighting his DNA there. And there's going to be a cost. Yeah. And again, the cost might be... I keep coming back to those precious few seconds before every swing, is the cost going to be, are you consciously thinking about your golf swing in those few seconds or are you more focused on your target and just kind of getting ready and, and you're just going to pull the trigger and go? And I find this game <laughs> way, way harder if you're the former, meaning that you're going to say, okay, I'm going to have to do this checklist of three or four things to hit this shot now. Much harder way to play this game, in my opinion. So yeah, that that's the complicated part about it is that when you go against what's natural to you, I think there's a mental cost on the golf course. And you could overcome that through practice and, and ingraining different habits. That's probably going to take several months and, and some good instruction likely. Is a player up for that? I don't know. Some are, some aren't. I think one of the problems... You know, my only criticism of, of certain instruction that I've seen is when you've got the teacher who has their one version of the golf swing and they're there to try and fit all of their students into that version of it. So then you're not going to have anyone swing in their swing. They're going to say, this is the way I think people should swing a golf club and I'm going to make you swing it this way. That I don't love so much. 
because again, now you're forcing everyone to go against the grain and and what comes natural to them. Yeah, talking about you, you mentioning about target awareness, or you said something to that effect. Yes, when you are focusing more on your swing or changing your swing mechanics, there's one of the costs to that is a loss of target connection. And now while the trade-off might be better, you know, for say, for example, you've got a player who when they're really target focused, they shank everything. Well, it's probably better for them to be focused on something that fixes a shank, which might be a more internal thing. But, you know, in putting, I see it all the time where I used to see a lot where players would be so obsessed with their putting swing mechanics and how, you know, whether they were swinging back and through a certain way, how they were moving their wrists, that they were losing target connection and in putting in particular everybody needs good target awareness target connection because speed control is huge and we gain most of our speed control through that external focus through being aware of like how is this moving through having that picture in our head of where the hole is you know it's much easier to throw your keys to someone when you're visualizing throwing your keys to someone rather than throwing your keys to someone thinking about what your arm is doing and having your your mental imagery focused on the arm so these call it locus of attention we've done an entire podcast on it and where you place your attention has a huge effect on how you coordinate movements. Yeah, we just have a very limited limited mental budget is what I would call it. The research has been pretty clear on this like humans can't multitask. We're not capable of like thinking of three things at once. We just it'll distract us like it doesn't work. And I've found that golf is one of the greatest examples of that is that if that mental budget is not being used in a productive way, especially like in a situation on the putting green, if you're worried about what the putter is going to do on the backstroke and you're not absorbing that last look at, at the hole and how far away it is, well, now you can't engage that athletic side of you to, to as you said, which is like the toss the ball to someone or, or throw the keys. Like you can't engage that part of you that just kind of feels it and lets it happen. And you're just so focused on how far am I taking the putter back? Is it too open or closed? And then I always love that metaphor that Dave Stockton used in his book, Unconscious Putting. Then you're you're driving the car like the cop car is in the rear view mirror. You're thinking about what your feet are doing on the gas pedal and where your hands are on the wheel rather than just driving the car. So, so easy like in concept in golf, but I would say it's probably taken me over 20 years to, to play that way instinctually more often. And I would say in my case that 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 is the pro swing your swing argument is because I don't have all that mental baggage. I'm not trying to fight against my swing. So it, it's worked for me. I know it's worked for others. It's not going to work for everyone though. So it's, it's tough. It really is hard. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. If you want to support our show, make sure to check out our sponsor LinkedIn by visiting linkedin.com slash sweet spot to post your job for free. When you're hiring for your small business, it's essential that you get quality and qualified professionals. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs can help you find the right people for your team with the fast and free tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. They have a network of more than a billion professionals, many of which you can't find elsewhere. And this makes LinkedIn the best place to hire while making the process easy and intuitive. Because of how easy it is with LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses find qualified candidates in less than 24 hours. LinkedIn have just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier. That's why 2.5 million businesses trust LinkedIn for hiring. 
Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash sweetspot. That's linkedin.com slash sweetspot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Link is in the show notes. It's easy for pros to say, I know when we had Fratelli on and we asked him a few questions about well, what, what do you do when you, this is happening or if you're hooking it one day or if you're shanking it one day or fatting it. And it's, I think it's easy for pros to stand on the swing your swing argument or better players to stand on that because their patterns are good. And for lots of those, when they have a problem, they can actually unconsciously rectify it. You know, a pro could hit one slightly out of the toe and they could be aware of it and they just unconsciously change it or they could hit a few left and they know a feel that changes it and makes the, the shot go more to the right. So it's easy from that perspective from a pro, but it's very hard. Imagine the amateur, the 15 handicap, who every single shot they're hitting is a hosel rocket. Telling them to swing their swing is just going yeah. to produce more <laughs> hosel rockets and that's not fun. There is the call, though, that when you say swing your swing to people, it helps them think less. And there is a, a, there's actually research on this, and I've seen it myself with my quad numbers, that when you make someone think less about the motion, it becomes more repeatable. And so that's great if the patterns that you have are already workable patterns. Sure. And there's even the other side of it. Like I, I saw a lesson once where a player was hitting shanks and the teacher said to them, what are you thinking of as you stand over the shot? And the player said, don't shank it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the player's thinking, don't I've been, shank I've it. I've been and there. The, I've been there. So I'm yeah. laughing at myself too. And what was interesting was this coach, instead of doing a mechanical fix to th- fix the shank, he went the route of lowering his conscious thought. So he gave him a, a task where he had to, I think it was a counting routine or something like that. So he had to count through the shot. And amazingly, it stopped the guy thinking about don't shank it because he's just trying to think about the counting. And as a result, he didn't shank the next 20 shots. And he even came back like a week later saying, yeah, I haven't shanked one in a week. Now, I, I don't know whether that's the best long-term solution. I prefer people to have tools that are very, very relevant, but it can work for some people if they are sabotaging their own their cells, sabotaging their own game by overthinking things or thinking things that aren't productive, then the phrase swing your swing might help that subset of golfers. I think there is not all, but definitely a demographic of golfer that I think is, let's put it this way, they're they're good range golfers. So we know they're capable of hitting enough functional slash good golf shots. They can drive it relatively far, hit iron shots that are somewhat on target. They're not shanking their wedges on the rain. Like you watch them hit and you're like, okay, they're not going to light the course up, but this is a decent ball striker. And then they go out on the course and it's like Jekyll and Hyde. They're hitting the driver all over the map, chunking their irons, sculling wedges. And you're like, what happened? In that instance, so that to your point that the swing your swing being a positive, that's thing like, I think those golfers are getting in their way somehow. Like they are capable of of swinging. Like they do have a golf swing that's capable of hitting those shots. And probably there's something going on upstairs. It's it's hard to always determine what is the root cause of that in each golfer. Maybe they are too focused on mechanics when they get on the course. I don't know what it is, but I believe that golfer, there's no reason to like tear apart that swing. It's more of, well, what can we do to help you cross this bridge 
from the range to the course. Maybe we're changing their practice habits. Maybe we're changing their routine on the course and what they're focusing on. Maybe they're just too hard on themselves and they think they have to hit every shot great. I'll give a little plug to my book. And I think a lot of people, the feedback I've gotten from my book is the first section on managing expectations has allowed people to let themselves play the game rather than forcing themselves to play the game. It's freed them up. And I get these messages like, hey, I'm shooting much better scores just because I have a different mindset. So I think those types of golfers, I can't identify how many of them are (laughs) that exist. I've seen plenty of them that I think they've got the swing. They can swing their swing, but they're just a mess with like mental game, strategy, the way they practice. Maybe they're not structuring their practice in a way that's productive to match the conditions to the course as best as possible. Like they've got the tools. They're just not using them properly. So yeah, I think those golfers are definitely the, I would say like, don't tear apart your swing. I think you can swing your swing. Let's just work on all the other stuff that that's not your necessarily the technical elements of your swing, or at least thinking about them so much. Yeah, a blog post that I wrote probably close to 10 years ago now that gets a lot of emails still is is something called Dirty Golf. I called it Dirty Golf. And the whole premise behind it was, imagine the earliest golfers, right? The guys who they just picked up a stick in a field and they saw a stone on the ground and they decided to whack it. What was their mindset? Were they thinking about, right, how's my grip? Is my grip perfect? Is my alignment <laughs> perfect? Right. They said, we're going back to the 1600s, maybe even the 1200s here. I, don't, I can't remember. My golf history is not very good, but those guys weren't thinking about those things. They weren't worried about backswing plane. The concept of backswing plane wasn't even a thing at that point. Now, that's not to say they were the best golfers in the world, but the, the whole point was, What if you were to try and tap into that mindset for a moment? What if you were to tap into that farmer in a field who just picked up a stick and is now instinctively whacking a stone? What would it feel like? What would be running through your head not to have this like image of what your swing looks like? And I get so many emails from players, even to this day, of like, oh, I just read your dirty golf article, completely changed my outlook. I went out and I've for the last 10 rounds I've shot really good rounds of golf. And like I said, that's not necessarily for everyone. There are certain people who are going to have to think of certain things. But for players who are stuck in, I'm going to steal a phrase from Steve Yellen. We'll probably have him on the podcast at some point. Swing jail. Right? And lots of people, when I say this, swing jail. Are you in swing jail? Are you so bound up? by technical swing thoughts that you are no longer playing the game, you're playing golf swing. If that is the case, something like the Dirty Golf article can help free you up a lot. And so the idea, the concept of swing your swing can help free you up maybe. And that might be the thing that triggers better play from you. Yeah, I I think there's, again, we can't put a number on it, but that is one bucket of golfers that if we're doing the again, we're doing the pro arguments here. We're going to do an episode on why this could be a very negative phrase for some people. But if we're talking about the pros, yeah, I think you need to set yourself free from that from that jail, so to speak. Because again, not to beat a dead horse, I say this on a lot of episodes, but I think that is where golf leads you ultimately. Is is golf swing, golf swing, golf swing is is the better the way to play better golf. And we know it's an important part of it, but that's not how you quote unquote play the game. And we want to get people more in that play part rather than the swing part. 
there's a time and a place for it off the golf course. But yeah, I, I think a lot of the best golfers I know, especially the ones I see in like the tournaments I play in, you know, a lot of like low scratch plus handicap players. I see a lot of really like swing your swing type moves. <laughs> I don't see any like on plane like Adam Scott, Scott. I actually can't think of one golfer, maybe in some pro tournaments I've been in with like some mini tour-esque players. But at, at the the tops of the amateur level, I can tell you in like the, the section I play in, the Met section, our best golfer who used to play professionally, I think he's top 250 in the world now in the amateur He's, you know, he's, if you look at his swing on camera, it's like little John Daly-esque. It's long. There's a lot of moving parts to it. The guy just stripes it and is just beating everyone to death out there (laughs) with with how good he is. But yeah, it's a very unorthodox looking golf swing to the eye. Like that dude is swinging his swing for sure. And it's working for him. Great. Don't go to an instructor and tear the thing apart and say, how am I going to get to top 100 in the world? Like that would be a big mistake for him. So yeah, that's a great example. Obviously a really good golfer, but there's examples of that for 15 handicaps and 10 handicaps who don't want to go backwards and say, this is what you got. Let's keep these big movements and work on the little ones. And I think that can be done with a lot of the practice methods that we talk about on this show. Yeah, I had it the other day where I, you know, I posted a, it was an hour long, I think, video of me doing a practice and I was hitting shots in there and all of them, not all of them, but the average was closer than tour proximity. So the outcomes were really good. And I had someone comment on the video, if I was a pro, I'd be embarrassed with that swing. <laughs> so I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, wait there. So I just hit it within tour proximity, inside of tour proximity, over and over and over. And you're, you wouldn't want that swing because you're embarrassed with how it looks. This is why I don't put my swing on the internet. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, there was a part of me that wanted to say, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to do another video and I'm going to make my swing look awesome. <laughs> and I'm going to hit it the same with that as well, just to prove. And I'm like, why do I? Why? No, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be doing the opposite. I prefer my videos where I do really super funky swings and hit it inside tour average. So I think that gives more of a uh, more of a lesson to people, especially those who are obsessed with the aesthetics. We had comments from people, you know, swing your swing to them means don't worry about how your swing looks. And I think, yeah, this can help so many golfers, especially those who are making aesthetic changes, not functional ones. So an aesthetic change is if you ask a golfer, why are you making that? And they say, well, I just want it to look nicer. (laughs) They can't give you a functional reason. They might say, well, I think it'll make me more consistent or, oh, look, a tall pro does it. So, But that's what I would usually lump under an aesthetic change. Functional changes are things that actually, from a geometry and a physics standpoint, actually make a difference. So say, for example, someone is slicing the heck out of it and they've got a cupped lead wrist and they say, I'm trying to get into more lead wrist flexion, that's more of a functional change. That makes sense. If you get 100 golfers into more lead lead wrist flexion, they will hit it more left on average. So it is sometimes worrying less about how your swing looks or working less on aesthetic changes for aesthetic reasons and more on functional changes is where I would steer people towards. So do things that are going to change the desired impact variable. Yeah. And that could be done with in the boundaries of your current quote unquote DNA. It's hard to like say exactly what that is, but I think 
for making a, a general definition of what that is, is that, you know, you're not going to show up to the golf course with an unrecognizable golf swing the next day. You can make your swing, you know, better and it still has some of those imprints on it versus saying, well, I'm going to make my my swing look like Adam Scott's and be neutral, everything, zero path, all that stuff on plane. I haven't seen too many players succeed that way. So again, another pro argument for swing your swing. What else is on your tome of notes <laughs> that's in front of you? Yeah, I know. I got so many here, but I'm letting you guide us through this one a bit. People who usually are against swing your swing or even for it, there's this kind of false dichotomy where it's either if if you're for swing your swing, you're the type of person who never, ever works on your swing. And if you're against swing your swing, then you're the type of person who's like uber mechanical and constantly you have to be thinking. And it's like, it's, it's not the case. You can actually be different people within different time frames. So for example, Tiger was really good at this. Tiger would be super, super technical on the range. He'd be working on something. He'd be so focused on his mechanics that he'd often hit really awful shots because you can de-skill yourself thinking too mechanically. And he may hit awful shots on the range, but he didn't care about it. He's working on his swing. He's not trying to swing his swing. But then when he get on, gets on the golf course, there's lots of phrases where he's just like, yeah, I just play. I just swing with what I got on the day. I know it's too late to change it here. I think that kind of changed later on in his career. He got a little bit more mechanical on the course, but it, it tended to be most of the interviews I saw with him early in his career. He played very instinctively, very feel-based, yet he practiced very technically. So he was both players. He was a swing your swing and a swing someone else's swing per, uh, person. And you can be both. You can even periodize this. And I talk about this in, in the book, the practice manual, how to do this. You know, there's a good opportunity in winter to try and change your motion should you feel the need to. Not saying everybody has to, but should you feel the need to, say you've got a pattern that you want to change, there's a good time in winter that you can swing someone else's swing. And then as you get to summer, you can turn that off and be more instinctive, be more athletic, play with what you've got, aka your swing. And that's something that I kind of do as well. I can spend five minutes where I'm thinking more mechanically than anybody but then I can turn it off like that as well. Yeah, I guess the the situation that I hate hearing about the most is that, I mean, again, we don't know what the, the future holds for your golf game if you stay with your quote-unquote swing your swing and you're going to stay with this swing. We've seen examples of pro golfers who have ruined their careers by doing this, by choosing to swing someone, you know, maybe an instructor's version of what they thought was going to make their career better. I've seen some examples with players I've been around where – just totally destroyed their game because they said, well, I'm going to go through this like 12 month overhaul. And then they just like never got back to where they were. That's unfortunate. And I hate to hear stuff like that versus maybe there is a golfer who we would talk about like limitations and what you're capable of. And you say like, you know what, this is what I, maybe I'm one of those golfers. I, I, I often think to myself, I'm like, this is pretty much what I've got. And if I stay with this and I trust it more, and I buy into it more deeply over the years. And, and this has been my journey in golf is that I have such ownership of what I'm doing that I don't really even think about it. But again, I just work on all the other stuff of like reacting to my ball flight or where I'm striking it on the face and stuff that we talk about is that I don't 
really concern myself with all the other stuff because I said goodbye to that a long time ago that I wasn't going to like fix my takeaway or change my backswing and stuff like that. And I said, this is probably the best I've got. I, I can't make my swing look prettier. And that did work out for me. That doesn't mean that's the same path for everyone. But of course, like that is probably my bias and I'd prefer that for a lot of golfers. So that's why I, if I'm going to be in the pro camp in this argument, I say, yeah, I, I'd rather you stick it out a bit and try and work on it in a smart, constructive way on ball flight stuff versus like, oh, we don't like this quarter of a second of your golf swing. We're just going to like totally fix this and make it look nicer. But then we don't understand what the rest of it's going to look like. And more importantly, you might never have ownership over that new move. And it's always going to be in the back of your head towards the end of your round where the pressure's on. And you just never really buy into it. And that, that I guess that is the hardest question to answer because there's no guarantees. Well, John, you could make your swing look prettier. If I stood there with a gun at your head... Well, yeah, we, we did that experiment once where you did make it look prettier. You told me to do a couple of things. Yeah, and that, there was a reason behind that for a different podcast. But if I put a gun towards your head and I said, make your backswing look pretty, make your takeaway textbook, you could do it, right? Yeah, but what, what would I have to do? I would have to consciously think about my trail hand smothering so my right hand on the takeaway, I would have to have it smother my left hand and to prevent it from like doing that rolling open motion I make to set the club. So then then all of my focus would be there, right? Here's the other thing is that even if you did make your takeaway look better, we know because you've done it, you hit it worse. Yeah. Maybe there's this like separate timeline of <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get into like Interstellar. That's one of my favorite movies where they had all the separate timelines. <laughs> yeah, you have to use your crystal ball basically and try and figure out is this going to make okay? Most changes will probably have some interference in the short term, even if it's a good change. It's going to have some interference, and then they, again, there's another call for why you should swing your swing at certain points is because even a good change often causes disturbance in the outcomes. But there's no guarantee with certain things as well. Things like takeaway, I know for a fact, you could take take that club away better, a textbook, quote unquote, and do it for three or four years, get it ingrained and just hit it no better at all. And basically have wasted that time that you could have been spending on more functional things. Exactly. Yeah. That's I guess I'm a more risk averse person in general. So that's like what I would defer to. Not for every player, because some players have more to gain than they stand to lose in these situations. But yeah, that that's another pro swing your swing argument is I I think it's potentially a safer bet to stick with the natural tendencies. And I think there's just ways to get the micro movements better by becoming more I like to use the word athlete with golf because I don't think it's used enough. I was actually today at my house. I'm going to be turning my book into a video course. So I've been practicing on camera and I'm going to be doing some demonstrations. And I was doing the a section on just, you know, how I would practice with impact location. And I was on camera and I just had to show me like, all right, I'm going to try and strike one on the toe. And I just smacked it off the end of the club with the toe and and the heel and it, it felt good just because I'm like, I didn't have to think about any technical change in my swing to do that because I've worked on this for so long. I don't know if my swing looked any different on camera. It's still John's swing. It'd very likely be similar. Yeah, but it was a, a totally different outcome. 
that's the route I would prefer most golfers to go because all I had to do is just like consciously strike the toe. And again, that didn't happen overnight, probably 10, 15, 20 years of work on some level. But I didn't have to say like, oh, change my takeaway or move this around. There was none of that going on. And that's that's what I'd love for a lot of golfers to get to, to make some type of significant change in their impact pattern without actually consciously thinking about what they need to do in their swing to accomplish that. That's what athletes do in, in the game. Yeah, to take that argument to its extremes, you can make any golfer, even with the worst swing in the world, worst looking swing, you can make them very, very functional with tiny changes. And people are like, what? Surely not. Well, say you've got a player who, and by the way, most amateurs are very consistent. They're doing, I would say, poor patterns consistently, but they're, they're doing them consistently at least. If you took a player, say, for example, who's shanking it consistently, well, if you were to set them up out of the toe of the club and they made the exact same swing, they would now be flushing it. Now, that doesn't happen. I've written blog posts as to why that doesn't happen. There's certain perception issues with that. Uh, you know, people feel as if they're far away from it. They don't like the look of setting up out of the toe and things like that. But the fact remains, if you were to take that shanker, set them up so they're out, the ball's out of the toe of the club and they make the same swing, they would now be flushing it. And so you can take that shanker and turn them into a flusher just with that small change. They, their motion would look the exact same in that scenario but they would be the outcomes would be hugely improved and i know a lot of people are like oh i don't want to do it that way yeah well zach johnson sets up out of the toe there's annika sorenstam set up out of the heel i've got i got a bunch of players in a myths of golf blog that i did that shows all these different players setting up out of the toe and the heel there's loads of tall professionals who don't set up out of the center now i'm not saying that's the best option for you but I'm not saying it's not either. Similarly, you get a player, right? You, you know, playing with a, a track man, that a slice can be caused by as little as the face being two, three, four degrees open to the path. Two or three, four degrees more open. Well, if you took a player and you set them up with the club face closed and then they grip it and then they make their exact same swing, you've now turned that slice into a very functional power fade. Not saying that's the best option, just saying that this is possible. Tiny changes that are really not very noticeable on camera can lead to huge outcome changes. Well, and that's the, I guess, one of the pros what we are, our interpretation here of Swing Your Swing is, is that the gross, the, the macro pattern would look exactly the same on camera, but you've just impact. They just shut the face a few degrees and now they have a functional fade. That could work for some players and they are still swinging their swing, so to speak. And they just realize, oh, my club face was open. I didn't understand ball flight laws. You explained this to me and now I'm going to go work on that and experiment with starting the ball in different directions and maybe maybe perhaps you gave them a grip change too. Who knows? Sometimes the answer is a little simpler for certain players like that and they retain their swing. Yeah. I had a player recently who he's been trying for years to swing more into out with different instructors and not saying it's their fault, but he's just been trying very hard. He's had very good instruction. You know, I, I looked at some of the stuff he was told and I agree with it mechanically. Still, he couldn't do it. Couldn't swing into out and hit a draw. He wasn't severely out to in. He was like a couple of degrees out to in, but he was always hitting this fade and he was just really wanted to be able to hit that draw just to be able to take it on the course. I said to him, why don't you just aim your body five, 10 degrees to the right? And 
he did that, and all of a sudden his swing path is from the inside, and he's hitting these draws now. He's starting to learn to close the face to the path, and now he's hitting these draws, and he can do it. And so he struggled, you know, trying to make this different swing. And I said, I basically said, why don't you swing your own swing and just align everything more to the right a little bit? Take the simple approach. You've been trying for three years now. It's not working. There's no harm in doing this. And now he loves it because he can hit that draw. And he's like, why did I not do that in the first place? I'm like, because eh, sometimes we want to do things the more complicated and what we believe is the right way. And sometimes the easier route is just as correct if it allows you to do what you need to do. Love it. I guess we've thrown a bunch of chips into the pro side. And a reminder, we will do the cons of the dark side of Swing Your Swing in the next episode. What else is on the list, Adam? Well, I've got wrong things and right things down here. I think that, you know, lots of players, sometimes they can be working on things that are wrong for them. They are actually incorrect. So, you know, an example of this, the last time I heard Just Swing Your Swing and someone started playing really well as a result of it, was there was a player on the course and he was hitting everything fat. And what's the most common phrase people give on the golf course, John? Keep your head down. Yep, keep your head down. So his buddies were telling him, keep your head down, keep your head down. Now he was dropping down, okay? So (laughs) he was swinging back. His head was already dropping about five, six inches in height in the backswing, and so he was fatting it, which makes logical sense from a geometry point of view. You drop down in height, your arc's going to be deeper into the ground. Now his friends are telling him to keep his head down. That's going to make it worse, and it did. He went from five, six inches of drop to six or seven inches of drop in height in the backswing now he's hitting it even more fat so he got to the back nine and one guy said oh you know what i don't know what i'm talking about just swing your swing mate and he started playing better so oftentimes we can be given poor advice which we've done an entire episode on last week at least we record it last week i don't know if we published it last week but sometimes you can be given incorrect advice and then that swing your swing phrase can help those type of people And even on the flip side of that, sometimes you can be given the right advice. Sometimes you can be given something that actually makes functional sense. Say, for example, you've got a player who's hitting fat shots and their weight is on their back foot. Well, if you get them to shift their weight earlier, more to their left side, from a geometry point of view, that is going to move the low point forwards. It's going to move the ground contact forwards. Makes logical sense. It is correct advice. However, (laughs) sometimes the act of thinking of new things causes more disturbance. It's that trade-off again. So sometimes that player trying to shift their weight too far forwards or foot forwards, maybe they overdo it sometimes. Maybe they underdo it. So now they're creating more inconsistency because they're thinking about something new and they're trying to calibrate it on the course. Maybe they de-skill themselves and they lose coordination because we know that when we think very internally about our movement, our coordination suffers. So yes, the trade-off might be positive in terms of moving the low point in the right place, negative in terms of the consistency of how they're doing it, the dosage. So sometimes we can work on the wrong things and produce better results when we start to swing our swing. And sometimes we can be work- working on the right things. It's just too much thought at that time. It's We're doing it in the wrong place effectively. It should be trained on the training ground until it's more automatic. Yeah, we've covered that concept in this episode. Yeah, it's just a much harder way to play the game when you're when you've got that burden on the golf course. Easier said than done to remove the burden, but I think that's what we should at least aspire towards. 
are we are we at our wrap up point here? Or are we no. uh, got a little bit more? Oh no. my god! Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, I told you this is gonna be a long one. I mean, we could talk about that little thread. So there's a mini thread that you had with Mock Golf and Fit for Golf as well, our, our friend. So he said, Mock Golf said, if you want to stay on a twenty handicap, swing your swing. If you want to get better, learn a new one. And then your response was, I didn't learn a new one. And what did you say? You went from like a to plus handicap doing that. And then Mike, fit for golf, he said, sure, you did learn a new swing. It's just different how most people view changing a swing. What were your thoughts on that mini thread? Well, I think it was what we discussed earlier in the episode is that I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth, but my interpretation of that was he was discussing the micro movements, not the macro ones. So yeah, of course I have... We show up with, if we're talking about like exact things, there's probably a different version of our or our swing that shows up every day. My path could be a little bit more extreme one day. My face could be closed a little bit more one day. But again, if you looked at it on camera, you wouldn't really see the difference. So that was my response to that is, is that I did not consciously do any major swing overhaul in the last decade and got better and better and better. But what I did get better at was I neutralized my path. I got better at striking it on the center of the face. I got better with my ground contact. So I guess my point was is that not to say that I don't believe in golf instruction, but it was that I didn't go to an instructor to find a new swing. I was what was that phrase we used earlier? I, I bought the the swing I had to the dance, whatever the heck it was, and just made it better. So that that was my interpretation of, of Mike's response is that, yeah, I agree with him. Like my swing is technically different, but in terms of the signature moves of my swing, the overall gross patterns, not that much has changed. I'm not someone who is all of a sudden with a prettier takeaway, a less shut face at the top of the swing, and whatever other stuff I do, that is kind of like the DNA of my swing. And I know Mike didn't like DNA. He's like, well, that doesn't have enough meaning to it. I don't disagree with him. I think that's a fair point as well, because we're all coming to this with different interpretations. But that's how I interpreted that those responses. You can tell someone's DNA. I can spot a golfer from three fields across by by the look of their swing. If someone says, oh, is that... Who's that over there? Oh, that's Mike. Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) When he makes a swing. Exactly. That's why I say like, I don't watch as much PGA Tour professional golf as I used to. But when I did, I don't have to see names or anything. I just need to see a quarter second of someone's like swing. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's them. You can show someone's silhouette. Yeah. Have you seen those uh, the silhouettes of like finish positions? And you're like, okay, yeah, it's McElroy, that's Spieth. That's what I mean by DNA. And I think Mike's point was, is like, well, Jim Furyk's swing has changed a lot. And I'm like- yeah, but his DNA is the same. Yeah, but he didn't show up looking like Rory McIlroy one day. It's still like that very vertical, wiry takeaway and then slots it on the inside. Have the micro movements changed over time? Probably a lot. Yeah. So I think that was Mike's point was like, there were a lot of changes in, in those smaller things, I think. Yeah. Even like you look at Tiger's swing from when he's on the first ever TV show that he did when he was like five years old or something. His swing looks very similar. You can tell it's Tiger. When even though Tiger remodeled his swing, which I want to talk about in a little bit, Tiger remodeled his swing throughout his careers, it still looked like Tiger. McElroy still looks like McElroy, even though he he went to different instructors. Furyk still looks like Furyk, you know, throughout the years, even though different positions changed. Yeah. So, I mean, your swing, your swing will look like yours. 
was. Mine will look like mine. The overall DNA looks the same. I know we could probably define it a little better, but I'm sure people instinctively understand what we mean by that. But you know, one thing someone else said is, well, they, I think they brought up the Einstein quote. And I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell you that Einstein was wrong. <laughs> so his quote of what was it? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a, res- a different result is the definition of insanity. Correct. Yeah, that's the quote. I don't think that's true in sports, in motorsports, at least from an intent point of view. You know, when I'm playing darts, I'm trying to do the same thing over and over again. And my body is just coordinating, learning how to coordinate the different motions. I'm getting better at darts. If you were to look at my motion on camera, if you were to look at the 3D, you wouldn't see any difference in there. There would be such subtle differences as to where my release point is and things like that. But the overall DNA stays the same, but the micro things change. And it's the same with golf as well. You can, I'm not saying this is the best option, but you can just make your swing over and over and over and your body gets better at coordinating all the variability. Because something that we know about golf swings is even every single swing is on a subtle level different. I will have to get Mark Bull on the podcast as well because he's he's done some research in this. We turn a little differently each time. We flex and extend our wrists a different each time. Even when a player hits two identical looking shots, you know, a five yard tight draw onto the target, the way that they've moved has been subtly different each time. And when you practice over and over and over, what improves is your body's ability to coordinate that variability towards our desired goal. I know it's a lot to think of. It's not easy to understand. But if you start, I mean, a quick Google search of the uncontrolled manifold hypothesis, read the Wikipedia article on that. It's a nice little article to get you started in this theory. So we can do the same thing over and over and still get better. It's not true, Einstein. <laughs> I mean, technically, Einstein's right because when we when we are getting better, we are doing something different. But it's on such a subtle level that even probably some of the best three D data can't access what is actually changing at this moment in time. Mike said, "Fit for golf? Sure, you did change. It's just different to how most people view changing a swing." And I know you mentioned, you know, your path got more neutral. So when we make a swing path change you'll often see a little bit of difference with the motion. You, you know, you'll see the club plane look different from a camera angle. But again, he's right there. You you changed your swing differently, right? You weren't thinking about the plane. Exactly. You were actually reverse engineering it. You were thinking about the path and the plane changed for free. And we talk about that self-organizing or reverse engineering. Yeah, I think that's why I guess my response to it is like, well... I disagree with him, but I agree with him at the same time. <laughs> so, but it was like, because my view of my swing is, is the signature is still there. All of the stuff that someone would be looked at me eight years ago till now, like, yeah, I think an instructor could spot the difference. But as you said, if like you saw the silhouette or you saw me on the range from afar, I'd be like, oh, that's still John. That is still John's swing. So that to me was, yes, I'm still swinging my own swing in that way. I didn't do some like crazy, complete change where you you would look at me and be like, whoa, what did that guy do? He looks like a totally different golfer. Yeah, that's my view of it is that I'm I'm still in my natural box, so to speak. There was just nothing that occurred. There were subtle changes along the way through like instinctual type work that did not involve me consciously saying like, okay, I'm going to get my club here or get my, my rotation here. Like none of that happened. So that's why Again, like I 
me looking at his response, I'm like, that's why I disagree with it. But I agree with him that obviously something changed because my ball flight has changed a bit too. I got better. From an instructor's point of view, I took a player from, I'm not taking credit for this, but I helped guide him from a 20 handicap to a five handicap in in a little over a year. And we didn't do a lot of work together. He did he did all the work. I just made little suggestions here and there. And his swing looks identical. So he dropped 15 shots and his swing looks identical. What did we change? He came to me with a severe case of the shanks and he was hitting lots of fat shots as well. Yeah, he would often suffer with face control as well. He'd get into these patterns where he just couldn't you know, fix the outcome. We just did skill work. I gave him the carpet drill to fix his, to help with his ground contact, his arc height control effectively. That's in the strike plan if anyone wants to see the carpet drill. I gave him just a simple skill drill for hitting more on the toe of the club. And then I helped him with the right and left drill that I use in the accuracy plan. And through doing those things, he was able to coordinate the minutiae that you can't see. And so his swing looks the same from a macro perspective, but he has much better control over the micro which I class as skill work. And as a result, his handicap drop, like, dropped significantly. Now, I know that's kind of a, an extreme case, you know, dropping 15 shots without changing your swing mechanics. But I see it all the time. I see things like that all the time. Maybe not 15 shots, but yeah, I, I often see 10 shots, five shots very, very commonly. So I want to go back to the mock quote. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. I do know him. I've seen some of his videos. I I do like him as an instructor. He said, if you want to stay on a 20, swing your swing. If you want to get better, learn a new one. I think there's some truth to that as well. The analogy I always use is that we can have a car and we have the driver in the car. Now, the golf swing mechanics, the overall macro motion is equivalent to how good is your car. And the driver in the car is the equivalent to skill work. So if you put Lewis Hamilton in a Ford Fiesta, <laughs> I don't know if you have them out in America, but we, we have those, right? And they're just little starter cars that aren't very good. He's going to get a hell of a lot out of that Lewis Hamilton. Really good driver, going to get a hell of a lot out of that small car. But he's always going to be limited by what that car can produce. Now you stick Lewis Hamilton into a Formula One car and his full potential can be realized. However, so that's the equivalent of putting someone into a better golf swing, okay? Yeah, if they're highly skilled, they're going to realize the potential with that better macro motion. However, you stick me in a Formula One car, I'll stall the hell out of it because I don't know how to work it. And that's the equivalent of making a player just make them not swing their swing, make them do a beautiful swing. There are some very talented, very self-body aware players out there who have done other sports who I can get them to look great very quickly. Even within an hour, I can get them to look mechanically awesome, but they can't hit it. (laughs) And so that's like putting me in a Formula One car. They don't have the coordination to use that yet. So again, it's not a case of don't do that. They might get used to that new car, that new swing over time. It's just a case of just seeing the golf swing as this skill part, who is the driver within the car and the car, which is effectively the limitation. Yeah. And that's why I've always been, you know, it's fascinating with Maybe there were more of those swings. I mean, you've studied the golf swing way more than me, but it seems in in, in Arnold Palmer's era, when you look at the tape of those swings, like Lee Trevino and all of those types of players, like 
they had way more like unique DNA in their golf swing. And then it looked like there was a period of time where everyone wanted to veer towards more similar looking swings. Maybe that was the eighties or nineties. Is that is that a good around Hogan's era and then and then Ledbetter's era when golf instruction became more popular and swing models started to get more popular. I think people started to go towards that and now it's just a given. Yeah, but now it's like you're starting to see a lot of outside the mold maybe some instructors and players coming out where you're like, whoa, Matt Wolf was an example of that and his instructor, George Gankis. A lot of his players, like they don't look like any model. Like he's just teaching them how to rip the ball and they're doing quite well with it, a lot of them. So I think that's why the phrase kind of came back into fashion. But of course, like I think there is, you know, naturally, again, we'll get into that in the other episode, the backlash against it. I was like, well, that's great for Matt Wolf, but what if someone has – you know, his skill is off the charts, but then you show someone else swinging like Pat Wolf and they're hitting it all over the map. Then what do you do? Yeah. Well, again, to argue against the mock quote here, if you want to stay on 20, swing your swing. Yeah. There's so many things you can do as an instructor and a player that will get you lower than 20, even if your motion looks the same. Could be as simple as picking better aim points, right? Our strategy stuff. So when I get those responses from the instructors on there, I totally understand where they're coming from and don't necessarily disagree with them. But again, my side of like the type of coaching I like to do is that I know that they've worked with a ton of players and changed swings and they're not technically swinging their swing anymore and they're better because of that. Great. But I think that if it leads to a better outcome, I'm all for it. I've also taught people about you know strategy or just like I said, the, the the first part of my book, people just understanding what to expect from the game and changing their mindset. And I've seen these miraculous jumps in scoring potential and enjoyment just by with a different mindset. And they're still, they didn't do a damn thing to their golf swing because they had some of the tools. And again, are they going to play pro golf or be in a, a top am golfer? No. But now they went from like a 12 to a seven. That's a big deal for a lot of players. Or they went from an 18 to a 14. That is where I'm coming from is that I think you I think there are a lot of examples of that happening with a lot of types of players with the quote unquote swing your swing and let's just clean up a lot of the other stuff. Not everyone, but yeah, again, I'm probably saying the same stuff over and over again that I said earlier in the episode, but that's where I'm coming from. Like when there's this tug of war between the yes and no, and not that I think it's a perfect phrase. I don't. I just if I'm arguing the pro, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, for lots of golfers, I mean, most golfers, really, if they could just play their best golf every time, they'd be super happy. Like their best ever round of golf is like a super big adrenaline burst for them. If they could do that more often, great. Yeah. So they don't necessarily have to swing someone else's swing because they've already proven that their swing produces that or can produce it. It could. If I could get a golfer to a big challenge is stop losing their shit half the time (laughs) when they play. I've got that down, yeah. They don't need to go take swing lessons to learn how to do that. They just need to buy into a different mindset. And sometimes it's my mindset. Sometimes it's someone else's they heard. And they say, oh, I'm not going to get angry at myself anymore. And voila, they're starting to play better. Like there is an element to the game that's that. I get like if you're a swing doctor, if you're working on people's swings day in and day out. Yeah, I would understand why you would hate that phrase. Because again, what you do for a living is helping people improve their golf swing and hopefully lowering their scores in the process because they're hitting the ball better. That is definitely a way to do it. 
there's other ways to do it too. Sometimes maybe lessons aren't the answer. It's the other stuff. Maybe it's both. Not everyone has unlimited time and money too. So there, there's also that element to it. Like a lot of people have to swing their swing because let's face it, we always estimate like 80 to 90% of golfers are not taking lessons. You know, it's more accessible than ever. You can take remote lessons and they don't cost as much money. But, you know, some people don't want to spend like, you know, 500 bucks a year on lessons. I would love for them to do that instead of buying the driver if that's in their budget. But some people just can't do it. Like they're saying like, I can just play. I have enough money to play and that's it. Well, in that case, like, yeah, you're gonna have to swing your swing and let's figure it out on the practice range with some of these other styles. Let's sharpen up your strategy. Let's get you in the right mindset, happier on the golf course. And and we could probably shave some strokes off that way. So that is a lot of golfers have to swing their swing too. Like there's just no other option. Yeah. It, it, it all depends how you're looking at things. I mean, from an instructor's point of view. There's so many scenarios. I mean, there are 60, I think but there's something like 60 to 70 million golfers on, on the earth. So I can't possibly account for everyone's scenario. And that's one of the reasons I do hate Twitter sometimes because I will tweet something and then inevitably you're going to get, well, I do this. And then I'm like, well, how could I possibly account for every single like permutation of golfer that exists? Every tweet has to come with a disclaimer, John. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I I wish I could put that on there. I, I do love Twitter overall, though. I generally have a great experience, but I guess that's why we ultimately with this show, we want to teach people how to be their own coach in a way because everyone does have a unique situation. And, and hopefully when we go through these thought experiments, you're going to see some parts of this that apply to you. And then you say, okay, that that's relevant to me. Maybe the rest of it's not because all of you listening to this are very different in how much time you have, your skill level, what you want out of the game. That's why golf is cool because there are those all those different scenarios. Yeah. And everybody, I want to say everybody can get better even if they swing their swing. I believe that too. That's why I started doing what I what I do is because I, I truly believe that like you can you can sharpen up the other things without making major changes to your swing. Well, I think here's a thought experiment, right? Imagine in the future you could jump into people's bodies. Imagine if you get me to jump into the body of a 15 handicap with a horrible swing. I could make that work better. If that player's hitting out the heel every time, I know from a conceptual point of view, it's not even a mechanical thing. I know what it what it feels like to just hit more out of the toe. And as I said earlier, it could be as simple as I just stand a little bit farther away from it and try and hit out the toe. I know how to make tiny changes to influence that face direction. And I've also got strategy and psychology, the grit, club selection, understanding of the layout of the land and how the ball's going to bounce, roll, spin all these things i could jump into that 2015 handicapper's body and drop 10 shots off instantly just by those things if not more and if you don't believe me go and have a look at the golf swing experiments blog i have on adamyungolf.com and you'll see the crazy swings that i do there that can still produce good outcomes because i'm good at recalibrating the big three so when people say oh yeah if you if you want to I know what Ryan Mock was saying, and I, I do agree with him. It, as I said earlier, 
it is a limiter. You're always going to be stuck in that car. So Ryan Mock is, I, I know what his mindset is because Ryan Mock, the, the guy who said that quote, I know that if I, if, if I talked to him and said, look, what are other ways that you could play, improve a golfer? He'd, he'd have good answers for what well, you could do. This with strategy. You could do this with psychology. You could do this with club selection. You could do this with impact stuff that doesn't make huge swing changes. So I know he knows that stuff. His mindset was more of, like I said earlier, you are limited in that car. If you're driving a Vauxhall car, around, you're never going to be able to compete in a Formula One event by doing that. So there is an element of truth to that. So I understand he's coming from that point of view. And that is ultimately up to the golfer. Do you want to make massive gains? Maybe sometimes that's possible without changing the car. But for the most part, like, yeah, maybe I'm jumping the gun on the next episode. But yeah, sometimes the car sucks and the driver's not so great either. So something's got to change. And if you have a golfer who's like very motivated, has the budget to maybe work with someone like Ryan, like he's a he's a very highly touted instructor on the, on the Skillist app now. So he's obviously doing good work. Then yeah, going to someone like him or someone of that caliber, like yeah, let's let's upgrade the car. Let's upgrade the driver. I'm in. I've got the budget. I've got the time and I've got the patience. Let's do it. That's an option too. I'm all for that. You know, people tout me as a non-technical instructor. I'm not. I, I am a technical instructor. Uh, I give lots of technique to my players. I'm often trying to upgrade their car. So, you know, I wrote a whole chapter in my book on it. So I'm not completely swing your swing for everybody. I'm just saying that, you know, there was an instructor who said something like, if an instructor tells you to swing your swing, run. I think he was an instructor anyway. He looked like one from his Twitter profile. And I just thought it was a little unfair because I think it's not in most instructors' best interest to tell you to swing your swing. That's why they're so against it. Because a whole golf instructors, they build, for most part, they build their entire livelihood by telling you to swing someone else's swing or to improve your swing. That's why they tend to hate it so much. So, you know, I suggest instructors learn several tools to be able to improve a player beyond only looking at swing mechanics. There's so many players who don't even want to learn new mechanics or they don't have the patience to make big changes. And you can't just put those players on the side and say, oh, well, you're stuck as a 20 handicapper then. It's like, no, let's look at other options we can do that don't require huge monumental swing changes. Yeah. Ultimately, that that's where like my bias and passion for this term comes from is because I'm not working on swings at all. Like I literally came into the golf world because I said, I know I can help players get better without even talking about their swing. And that's like, I've focused exclusively on solving that problem the last eight years. And I guess I could pat myself on the back a little bit. I've gotten enough emails and messages at this point to know that I'm capable of doing that. So that's my bias is because I'm trying to work with all the other golfers who maybe are taking lessons, but most of them aren't. And I'm saying like, how could I squeeze every last drop of efficiency out of the current swing you have in ultimately the topics I discuss in the four foundations of golf and certainly the topics we talk about together on this show. So yeah, that is my bias. I wake up every morning trying to solve that problem for golfers and it has nothing to do with changing the the gross big picture items of their golf swing. So I know it's possible, not possible for everyone, but so I get why the instructor would like cringe at that statement. At the same time, like maybe I'm asking for them to understand my perspective on like why I would say, well, I do sometimes like that phrase because I have some evidence to suggest you can swing your swing and get better at this game too. 
maybe not have like massive, massive breakthroughs, but enough where you're like, hey, I'm getting better at this game and I'm enjoying myself more. Like those are two things that most golfers are not trending in that direction, unfortunately. Well, it goes back to the car and driver analogy again. And the instructors who say like run if if someone if an instructor tells you to swing your swing, they're constantly trying to put someone in a new car. And that's great, but if you don't improve that player's ability to drive the car, to learn how to drive, they're not going to make the most out of it. And I see that all the time where players are working on their swing mechanics and they're actively de-skilling themselves, as in their coordination is screwed up because they're so busy thinking about the mechanics that they're playing golf swing now and not golf, and the coordination is shot to pieces. You will de-coordinate yourself if you, if you think too hard about it. What I try and do is... I try and do both. I try to improve the car and I also try to improve the driver within. And I look at a player and I say, you know what, which, what does this player need more of? I've seen plenty of swings that I'm like, this player should be at least off five handicap. And then they tell me they're off 25. And I'm like, we don't need to make a better swing here. We need to find out what the skill reasons, strategy reasons, why you're not off 25. Let's improve your ability to get the most out of this swing. But then I do see some players who are like, well, I'm off five, but I suffer with fat shots. And I look at their swing and I'm like, yeah, that motion lends itself to a lot of fat shots. We need to jump or upgrade the car. But you know what? I often just try and add pieces to their existing car and upgrade it bit by bit rather than putting them in a whole new car. I actually just remembered something that's a perfect example of this, I guess, in the opposite direction. So in my dark days, in my 20s, if you read my book, you know about my horrible incident in Florida. So during that time period where I was like a really angry golfer, not playing much, expecting too much, I was down in Florida once and I got a lesson. And it was before I was going to play around with my dad. And the guy looked at me and I was like, hey, I used to be like an okay junior player, but I don't really play much. Like, what do you think's going on here? And he looked at my swing. I was hitting all these great shots. He's like, I don't even know. He's like, what, what's your handicap? Like a one, two, three? I'm like, no, dude, <laughs> it's a mess. I'm like, I don't even, I mean, maybe it's a 10. I have no idea. I'm like, it's a disaster. He's like, really? I don't really see anything that's a problem here. And then the next day I was playing with my dad. This wasn't the incident, but I was playing with my dad and just playing horribly. And this, the the guy was driving around the golf course, the instructor, and he came over. He's like, how are things going? I'm like, I just like shook my head. I'm like, that was an instance where someone looked at my swing and the car looked good, but the driver was a total disaster, (laughs) like just doing everything wrong. Wasn't practicing enough mindset was wrong expectations were out of whack just like totally had the game backwards so i think that was an example of like someone who had the potential but wasn't using it properly yeah well work on both guys work on improving that car and improving your ability to drive it the good news is if you do skill work and strategy work and you know the things that improve the driver effectively if you put that driver in a different car, they're going to be able to get more out of that car as well. So that's why I think skill work is so powerful because when you improve someone's skill, if they do decide in the future that they want to change their swing and swing someone else's swing, they'll get more out of that as well and they'll learn it quicker. Exactly. The skill's still there. And if this is your first episode listening to us, I know we have a lot of longtime listeners, but just a reminder that this is an evergreen show. And if you're hearing the words skill for the first time, you can go back in our library and listen to some of the episodes we've talked 
about practice methods and, and, and impact laws and, and, and a lot of things we've talked about. And skill versus technique as well. Yeah. So th- this is, I guess, our little difference from some of the other stuff you might have heard in the golf world. But I love this metaphor. Is that a metaphor, the driver in the car? That's got to be, right? Yeah. I like that a lot. Thank you. We're approaching our limit here since this is a two-parter. Your limit, John. Yeah, well, I'm going to challenge you here because it's late at night here. I'm three hours ahead of you. So I'm going to challenge you since we're getting to the end of our time limit and my limit. Let's wrap up this pro swing your swing conversation. Okay. Actually, you know, looking at some of my notes here, these are actually... Oh, no, they're not. We're going to have to just do it in the next episode. We're going to have to talk and just continue the conversation, I think. It'll be more... (laughs) (laughs) It'll be more anti-swing your swing in the next episode, but there'll still be some pro stuff in there because I still got a lot to go. There'll still be a little swing your swing. (laughs) I'm waving the white flag tonight. Yeah. Okay. Well, I also think like if you do listen to this show, you know that even with guests, we're usually at somewhere like the, when it gets edited down the hour and 20 to hour and 30 minute mark. So I feel like that's our, that's our sweet spot. That's why I'm holding your feet to the fire on that one. Okay. So let's wrap it up here. Again, I'll admit my bias, my closing thoughts. I do like the phrase or at least my interpretation of it. And it also is what I do for a living is is helping people swing their swing, so to speak. I'm not a swing instructor. So that's my side of it is that I'm trying to help people maintain what they've got and get better at the same time, realizing that there are some limitations to that. Not that I'm against instruction. But yeah, I like the idea of a golfer who takes ownership of the look of their swing, doesn't feel embarrassed by it, and doesn't want to fit into something else. Because again, my goal for you is to stand over that ball with as much confidence and as clear ahead as possible and reacting like an athlete in the moment. And that's why I like the phrase swing your swing. But I do acknowledge and I will talk about this in the next one, that it does have a ton of limitations and well and, and different interpretations that I admit to. So I'm not 100% for it. I think there's some cons to it as well. Yeah, I'll leave with, I think it has definite value, the, the phrase swing your swing. And I think every player, I know every player can improve without changing the macro look of their swing. That is not to say that's the best route for them to go. There can be value in the opposite as well, which we're going to talk more about in the next episode. But certainly you can improve through skill work, strategy work, all the stuff I talk about in my programs on adamyounggolf.com forward slash products. Nice plug. I know. I I just so subtle. People probably didn't even notice it. right into that. (laughs) What's your plug, John? Yeah. And if you want to swing your swing and get better at golf, happier, lower your scores, all that good stuff check out my book four foundations of golf available on amazon and elsewhere online you can also check out my site practical-golf.com thank you for listening to our little thought experiment here appreciate everyone's feedback and their support and we will see you next time with the partial pros of swing your swing because adam saw some stuff less on his list no the negatives of swing your swing oh yeah partial pros and then mainly negatives there were some partial pros but and then we'll get to the negative side of it so don't judge us just yet wait wait till next week <laughs>